Welcome to the reading of the Quad City Times for today, Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of people with print disabilities. Your readers today are Dale Finnegan and Doug Kretzinger. And now, with our first story, here is Doug. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Bold Dreams for Moline, lead story on the Quad City Times, written by Grace Kinnicutt. Rayapati delivers annual State of the City. Moline officials are daring to dream of a future that is bright, the city's mayor said. In Mayor Sangeetha Rayapati's annual State of the City address Monday, she emphasized new and big projects planned for Moline. Through all the planning and execution of the project, she said, they remain mindful of protecting the health, safety, and welfare of the community. I'm proud to say that in Moline, we do dare to dream of a future that is brighter than we thought possible, she said. Achieving a bright future, Rayapati said, will require being mindful of limits and responsibilities to achieve a balanced vision. The biggest part of balancing the future is ensuring the city remains responsible in budgeting funds, she said. Last November, City Council approved nearly a $145 million balanced budget. The budget includes funding for projects throughout 2024, the lowest tax levy rate in over three decades, and new revenue streams. The city's 2024 tax levy rate is $1.77 per $100 equalized assessed value. We are very proud of this accomplishment and how it transforms our primary budget goals for 2024, Rayapati said. Those goals, she said, include funding road improvements to avoid deferred maintenance, implementing a fee-funded rental housing inspection program, and providing funding to keep the city properly staffed. This year, $5.1 million is being invested in capital improvement projects, Rayapati said. Capital improvement projects will address infrastructure needs and downtown redevelopment. As of now, no funds are allocated for possible downtown redevelopment plans. The city is waiting on the design firm, MKSK, to come back with designs of redevelopment. Improvement projects for this year include alley reconstructions, resurfacing projects, water and stormwater projects, sidewalks, and more according to the city's budget. Rayapati also highlighted new revenue streams which will allow the city to avoid drastic impacts to our resident when these projects must commence. That was a quote. The city entered into an amusement tax sharing agreement with the Illinois Quad City Civic Center Authority, better known as Vibrant Arena at the Mark, Mark, all caps, M-A-R-K. It is a 5% tax rate in which funds are split between the city and the authority, According to the resolution, the city receives 60% of the amusement tax and the authority receives the other 40%. A natural gas and electric franchise fee also is being implemented. The city is charging MidAmerican a fee of 1.5% for the operation of a natural gas system and franchise for 25 years. City officials, Rayapati said, also plan to regularly review and adjust fees for all enterprise funds as needed. Enterprise funds consist of city utilities such as water, stormwater, wastewater, and sanitation. Fees in the enterprise funds were slightly increased for 2024. 
A majority of the funds had not received increases since the early 2000s and 2018. Uh, on the horizon, junior achievement of the Heartland also will be moving over to Moline from Davenport and investing $3.25 million for a new JA Inspiration Center. President and CEO Dougal Delson, Nelson, I'm sorry, announced the move before Rhea Potty gave her address. Nelson said Junior Achievement has operated in downtown Davenport for the last 25 years and the lease is set to expire this year. The new center will be at the Vibrant Credit Union's headquarters on John Deere Road. About 75% of the necessary funding has been raised, Dougal said. Quote, the J Center will provide a final space of learning, discovery, and empowerment. End quote. That was Nelson. Dr. Kit Ford, founder, director of Argro's House, also announced that they received a grant which will allow them to buy property in Moline for housing where female survivors of domestic violence can live risk-free and have assistance provided to them. Argro's Manufacturing Facility and Community Center has been in Moline since about 2021 when Argros purchased a vacant building behind George's Cleaners on 44th Street, Ford said. The Eastgate TIF, or Tax Increment Financing District, also has uh, was highlighted. It encompasses East End Park, a portion of 48th Street and 49th Street along 4th Avenue and 4th Avenue from 49th Street all the way to 55th Street. It also includes a portion of River Drive and Old River Drive. Included in the TIF is Par Instruments. The company has been in Moline for 125 years. Randy Steining, the company's CFO, also spoke at the State of the City Steining said PAR is partnering with Russell to expand its current 45,000-square-foot building by constructing an additional 55,000-square-foot facility. The city established an Eastgate TIF, he said, made the expansion feasible. A pinnacle part of uh, Moline's future is riverfront redevelopment around the Interstate 74 bridge, Ray, uh, Ray, Ray Potty said. Land that long-sat dormant and hidden under the old I-74 bridge now has tentative plans for its future. Tentative plans include a skate park and pump track, mixed-use residential, a food hall at the Spiegel Building, and more. The design firm MKSK did share three potential ideas that included river overlooks, a park, mixed-use residential, a food hall, and green space. Not included in those ideas were potential reuse of the Cone Tower, K-O-N-E, and use of land on the east side of I-74. It also did not show the proposed skate park and pump track. City officials told MKSK they would like to see those concluded as they continue design plans. City, design plans. City Administrator Bob Vitus told the Dispatch Argus Quad City Times that they hope to have final design plans this July. The strategic plan, Vita said, calls to adopt plans then. The Cone Tower, Vitus emphasized, will remain and he hopes adaptive, will remain and he hopes adaptive reuse of the tower can happen. Rayapati also highlighted the effort city officials are making to offer more safe and affordable housing around the city. The city is working with Moline Housing Authority, Renew Moline and others, Rayapati said, for more housing. 
There are current housing projects planned for the city, which, once completed, will bring an additional 126 units to the city, said Rayapati. She also highlighted the city filing all director positions, filling all director positions, invested millions to improve miles of pavement, resurfacing and reconstruction, and improve water, sewer, and stormwater necessities, and replace sidewalks. It's been very important to me that we talk, say it again, been very important to me that we walk the talk on our goals, she said. She also highlighted the city's switch to monthly utility billing, attracting and retaining public safety personnel, and working with Maserich to figure out the next steps at South Park Mall. The article in the center of the front page has a photograph along with it, and it shows three women standing at a stainless steel counter in a kitchen. The caption says, from left to right, we have Davenport Central High School students, Jana Anderson and Zakaria Davis, both 18, as they prepare cake materials with instructor Janae Cross. And this photo was taken on Monday, February 26th. You can see, uh, let's see, Jana is holding a cake on a pedestal. It's all wrapped up in plastic, and Zakaria is reaching for a stainless steel bowl as the instructor talks to them about apparently what they're going to be doing next with that cake. The article is titled, From the Classroom to the Kitchen. It's written by Olivia Allen. Student chefs in Davenport School's Culinary Arts, CTE, that means Career and Technical Education Program, will put their skills to the test at the Iowa Pro Start Invitational State Championship on Tuesday. With curriculum formed via the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation, or NRAEF, ProStart is a two-year culinary arts and restaurant management program for high, school, for high schoolers. At the Iowa ProStart Invitational on Tuesday, students will face off in a culinary competition and pitch business ideas in a Shark Tank-styled format. I'm extremely nervous, but also very excited, said Felicity Sperry, a participant from North High School. I'm pretty confident in my team. I feel like we have a really good chance of winning this, end quote. In the culinary contest, students will have 60 minutes to prepare two identical plates of an appetizer, main course, and dessert, relying only on each other and two butane burners. In this industry, we really rely on each other, said Janae Cross, the instructor of Davenport's Culinary Arts Program. We do have, like, long hours, and it's tedious work, but we also have the ability to work together and have fun to complete a project on deadline. So it's just those soft skills, I hope, transfers to any career these students can get to, end quote. On Tuesday, February 27th, Davenport students will make Thai coconut shrimp soup, a jerk lamb chop, and a sweet potato puree, coconut cream couscous and couscous and crispy kale, and a pineapple upside down cake with cherry compote, coconut mousse, and a coconut cashew crumble. I'm most excited for the culinary contest because I made the entree dish, said Angelina Chauvo, a recent North High School graduate headed to the ProStart invite. I'm really hoping we win on Tuesday, she continued. On the management end, students had to design a food service concept, including its purpose, target market, and floor plan, 
and develop its budget, menu pricing, and marketing material, among other entrepreneurial tasks. Only 10% of cooking is actually cooking, Cross said. The other 90% is organizing and getting your time management right. Davenport's culinary arts program will pitch eggs elent a play on the word excellent, but with eggs at the beginning, obviously, a food truck featuring several egg roll variations and other menu items. Running her own private catering business, Meals by Chef Lena, Chauveau said this opportunity has helped develop her skills as a professional. It taught how to be more precise with my skills, she said. I decided to do this program to basically boost my self-esteem with cooking, end quote. Chavo said she graduated early to attend Scott Community College's culinary arts program, seeking to further expand her business and continue her family's love for cooking. It's cooking just what we love to do, she said, noting she incorporated her Vietnamese heritage into the excellent menu and concept. I'm also getting my food permit license and I'm planning on getting my own food truck, but I'm also thinking about renting a small area in Des Moines. End quote. Emily Greenwood, a junior at North, has similar aspirations. She said, I feel like ProStart is a good experience just to see how well I perform under pressure. I've wanted to go into the culinary industry since I was 12. I've always had my own pots and pans and everything, and I've always just loved cooking. Students can also earn professional food handling certificates such as Serve Safe, via Davenport's Culinary Arts Program. On Monday, students in the program gathered to prepare for Tuesday's contest. Some sharpened knives and others, other kitchen utensils, while others labeled and packed items up. I think it's great that they, the school district, offer something more than the typical food classes for people that want to be more advanced, Greenwood said. They provide something more hands-on for people like me who want to go into the culinary industry when they're older, end quote. In the future, Greenwood said she's interested in attending the Culinary Institute of America. Sperry doesn't plan to pursue culinary arts, though she most enjoyed gaining the life skills via Davenport's program. It's fun to try new types of foods and try cooking those different foods, she said and really just working with others and coming together as a team. Ten Davenport students are headed to the ProStar invite. Still, all played a role in the program's success. While Q. Kaysen isn't among the group com com competing, he too has enjoyed the experience and culinary skill building. He said, I've always been interested in cooking, and this has just helped me a lot adding that he'd love to make a career out of it if possible. It's hard to pick my favorite dish from this class, he continued. For other Davenport students with an interest in cooking, Kaysen recommends trying culinary arts programs. It's definitely worth it, he said. There are really nice people. Cross is really nice. It's fun, and you learn a lot. Thank you, Dale. Turning to local section, page A3 of the Quad City Times for today. A couple of short articles. Here's one new market coming to Davenport. And it's uh, Dollar General Market is slated to open this spring, written by Gretchen Teske. A new grocery option, 
that will be include fresh produce is coming to the Five Points intersection in Davenport. The former CVS at 1777 North Division Street is undergoing a renovation to become a Dollar General Market. The store is slated to open later this spring and employ 10 to 15 people, company said in a news release. The hiring process is ongoing and applications can be filled out online. Our customers are at the center of all what we do and meeting their needs is our top priority when choosing store locations, the release said, and it went on. In selecting store sites, we take a number of factors into consideration, carefully evaluating each potential new store location to ensure we can continue to meet our customers' price, value, and selection needs. End of article. With the DJ market format, customers are able to purchase produce, refrigerated and frozen food offerings, dairy products, and more, in addition to an assortment of fresh meats alongside the traditional general food products offered at Dollar General's. This announcement comes on the heels of the company announcing it surpassed its latest milestone of now offering fresh produce in more than 5,000 stores across the company. Dollar General's produce set offers the top 20 items typically sold in traditional grocery stores and covers approximately 80% of produce categories most grocery stores carry, according to the release. In addition to the market, the store will also have the same offerings as other Dollar General stores, selling name brand and private brand merchandise such as food, health, and beauty products, home cleaning supplies, housewares, stationery, seasonal items, and basic clothing, according to the release. And on the same page, three, this article right below that one is called An Enchanting Discovery, Rare Magic Mirror on Display at Putnam. Uh, Gannon Hannafold wrote this. A, quote, magic mirror, end quote, originally purchased in Japan, has been in the Quad Cities for 120 years. And now Putnam Museum visitors can see it for themselves. The artifact was originally purchased in Japan in 1904 by Davenport local Charles Fick. He later donated it along with other pieces from his collection to the Putnam Museum. For a century, it sat in the Putnam Collection storage as a mystery. But in 2022, curatorial project coordinator Nora Moriarty discovered it and began a lengthy authentication process that recently wrapped up. Moriarty's interest about the object was piqued after a similar mirror was found at museum in Cincinnati. The mirror is made of bronze with an engraving on the back that reads in Chinese, quote, homage to Amitabha, Tabha, end quote, one of the most important Buddhas in Pure Land Buddhism tradition, according to the museum's website. The magic comes when light strikes the mirror at just the right angle, and it can project an image onto the wall, according to a media release shared by the Putnam Museum on Monday. There are very few of these mirrors currently identified, Moriarty said in the release, and a new addition like our, ours may help scholars learn about where and when they were created, she said. The museum said that under perfect lighting conditions, an image of Amitabha, A-M-I-T-A-B-H-A, can be seen. It was an exciting moment, illuminating the mirror in the darkness with a flashlight. Moriarty said in the release, I thought I saw the image of a Buddha that day, but I wasn't sure. 
A CT scan conducted by Genesis Health later confirmed the museum's suspicions, revealing the image in full. Starting Tuesday, the mirror will be on temporary display at the Putnam, the museum said. It will later be moved to a permanent display at 1717 West 12th Street in Davenport. BFD fight two fires since Friday. Both were residential structure fires. The story from Olivia Allen. Bettendorf fire crews recently fought two residential structure fires with causes and damage estimates unknown at this time. On Sunday at 9.58 p.m., Bettendorf Fire Rescue responded to a residential structure fire in the 1100 block of Jones Street. Fire crews noted heavy smoke and small flames on first entering the home, which they quickly extinguished. At 2.25 p.m. on Friday, February 23rd, Bettendorf Fire Rescue responded to a structure fire on Oak Park Drive. When crews first arrived to the scene, heavy fire was seen coming from the backside of the home. Crews quickly extinguished both external and internal flames as fire has burned through exterior walls into the attic. Residents were not home in both instances, and fire crews performed interior searches through all levels of both homes. No injuries were reported from either fire. Firefighters rescued one dog in Friday's incident with assistance from a neighbor. Both homes are uninhabited due to heavy unhin- excuse me uninhabitable due to heavy fire and smoke damage and utilities have been disconnected. Bettendorf Fire Rescue are investigating the cause behind both fires. Mutual aid for both fires was provided by Davenport Fire Department, Rock Island Arsenal Fire Department, and Medic EMS of Scott County. Mid-American Energy also was notified in both cases. And another, another article from the bottom of the page, Education Notes from Around the Quad Cities. Western Illinois University to offer virtual graduate information sessions. The Western Illinois University School of Graduate Studies has announced it will offer multiple virtual information sessions during this semester and the summer. Individuals interested in pursuing a master's degree, post-baccalaureate certificate, or who want to take graduate-level courses as a non-degree student are invited to attend and will be provided with the information needed to get started. Graduate studies staff will provide a brief presentation and be present to answer any questions about degree options, curriculum, admission, and more. Session times include Wednesday, March 20th at 2 p.m., Tuesday, April 16th at 2 p.m., Friday, May 24th at 12.30 p.m., and Wednesday, June 26th at 10 a.m. There is no fee for the sessions, but registration is required. To register for a session, go to their website at go.wiu.edu slash 3WHKGRL. A valid email is required to receive the Zoom meeting ID, and for more information, you can also contact the Graduate Studies Office at this phone number, 309-298-1806. Rivermont Collegiate introduces New Summer Academy for college test preparation. Rivermont Collegiate will offer an ACT and SAT Prep Academy as one of several New Summer Academies in 2024. The new class will address the practical needs of high school students preparing for college admission exams. 
It will offer a comprehensive learning experience, equipping students with various techniques and essential knowledge to confidently tackle SAT math problems. Students will be able to engage with the instructor directly, allowing them to ask questions and get personalized guidance for problems. Working with the instructor, students who extend their stay beyond one week will continually expand and build upon their knowledge. Each week will not be a repeat of the previous week. Rivermont Summer Academies will run from June 10th through August 2nd. The ACT-SAT Prep Academy will be from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. Rivermont Summer Academies offer specialized programs that align with middle and high school students' diverse interests and developmental stages. The range of activities from sports training to intellectual challenges in chess, science experiments, tabletop gaming, and music performances caters to a broad spectrum of interests. The cost is $70 per week. Students can register by the week or for the entire summer. You can visit their website at rivermontcollegiate.org slash summer hyphen academies or give them a call at 563-359-1366. And finally, winners revealed in 5th Annual Black History Month Art Contest. U.S. Cellular has revealed the winners of its 5th Annual Black History Month Art Contest in conjunction with the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Mississippi Valley. Earlier this month, the public was able to vote online for a favorite finalist's art. In total, there were 386 votes cast, with the winning artists from each club awarded gift cards. The winners include Nora Blay, age 9, who won $250 for first place with a portrait of Marie Maynard Daly. Connor Taylor, age 8, who won $150 for second place with Stephen, Stefan Alexander artwork. And Gloria Fagla, age 10, who won $100 for third place with a Marie Maynard Daly creation. Boys and Girls Clubs of the Mississippi Valley members were encouraged to create original pieces of artwork that represented influential black STEM icons. These included historical figures, world leaders, scientists, and educators who have made vital contributions to the world of science, technology, engineering, and math. Local U.S. Cellular and Boys and Girls Clubs of the Corridors leaders selected the 10 finalists based on creativity, quality, interpretation, clarity of theme, and overall impression. And then the public voting for the finalists was available online February 1st through 15th. And page four, two Rhode Island men indicted by federal grand jury, a short article by Gretchen Teske. They have been added to those charged in an alleged racketeering conspiracy in which 12 others already face charges. Last May, 12 men from the Quad Cities were indicted by a federal grand jury for allegedly engaging in a years-long pattern of violence that included murder, shootings, robberies, and drug trafficking. Monday, the Department of Justice announced a federal jury had indicted Kylia Dupree Cartwright, Jr., 27, and D'Angelo Tez Cooper, Jr., 30. Each has been charged with racketeering conspiracy and being felons in possession of ammunition. They're each facing a maximum sentence of 30 years if convicted. The pair are believed to be members and associates of multiple criminal organizations, including the Arsenal Courts Posse, Zone 5th, 
Fifth Street Mafia, Rocktown Money Getters, RTMG, and Money Team. Members and associates of each are suspected to have been involved with acts of violence beginning in April of 2006 and stretching into the present day. Included in the indictment are allegations Cartwright and another co-defendant shot at a rival gang member on September 5 of 2012. Cartwright also was accused of shooting at a rival gang member on July 5 of 2020. As a result of the July shooting, the rival member died. Cooper is being accused of firing several rounds at a person he believed to be a rival gang member on June 1 of 2020, while the city of Davenport was experiencing civil unrest. Cartwright was arrested Tuesday, February 20, after a federal search warrant was executed in the 1300 block of 44th Street in Rock Island. During the search, officers found more than 30 pounds of marijuana and gang paraphernalia. His initial appearance took place Friday, February 23. Cooper is already incarcerated with the Bureau of Prisons on a federal drug trafficking sentence and will make his initial court appearance at a later date. Davenport and Rock Island Police Departments are investigating the case with assistance from multiple other local, state, and federal agencies. U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Iowa, Richard D. Westfall, announced the indictment. You are listening to the Quad City Times on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. It is now time for us to move to the obituaries from the Quad City Times. We have a full page of them, so I'll go ahead and do the first half and we'll not be reading all of the survivors today in the interest of time. William Regis Ju- uh, Sandnop, also known as Bill Jr., uh, William Regis Sandnop, age 76, of Camdenton, formerly of Edina, Missouri, and Davenport, Iowa, died Sunday, February 25th. Bill was born March 23, 1947, in Edina, Missouri. I don't know if it's pronounced Edina. I know it is in Minnesota, but maybe not in Missouri. Anyway, Bill and his wife, Deb, lived in LaBelle, Missouri, where Bill taught and coached basketball and learned and earned his Master's of Education at then NMSU. Bill and Deb moved to Walcott, Iowa, for Bill to begin his 30-plus career, 30-plus year career in school administration in Walcott and Davenport schools. In 2006, they moved to Camdenton, Missouri. Bill's wife of 54 years, Deb, does survive him. Visitation at Hudson Reimer Funeral Home in Edina, Missouri will be held on Wednesday, February 28th from 5 to 7 p.m. A funeral service will be held Thursday, February 29th at 10 a.m. in the funeral home. Memorials may be made to American Parkinson disease. Raymond J. Ewald, Jr., age 86, of Davenport, died Friday, February 23rd at Davenport Lutheran Home. Graveside services are at 11 a.m. Wednesday, February 28th at Rock Island National Cemetery, where the Moline American Legion Post number 246 will present military honors. Those wishing to attend should meet in the parking lot at Trimble Point, located at 701 12th Street in Moline, at 1045. 
The family will host a luncheon immediately following graveside services at City View Celebrations at Trimble Point in the lower level. Memorials may be made to any veterans organization. Raymond John Ewalt Jr. was born August 9, 1937 in Davenport to Raymond Sr. and Henrietta McMasters Ewalt. He proudly served in the U.S. Air Force and married the love of his life, Judith Allison, on September 28, 1957, in Keokuk. He owned Ewalt & Sons Construction for many years before retiring and working part-time for the YMCA and as facilities manager at Meadows Crest Apartments. Ray was a horse and dog lover. He bought his first horse as a teenager without his parents knowing about it. More recently, he bought a pony, Shorty, for his beloved grandchildren. He loved working with his hands and building things. In his younger years, he was a skilled boxer with the Pena Boxing Club and in later years enjoyed watching boxing. His wife of 66 years, Judy, does survive him. Condolences may be shared at cremationqc.com. Carolyn Sue Swanson, age 85, of Davenport, passed away on Sunday, February 25th at her home. Funeral services will be held at 11 a.m. on Thursday, February 29th at Weirts Funeral Home. Visitation will be held from 9 a.m. until time of service. Burial will take place at the Rock Island National Cemetery. Online condolences may be expressed at the website weirtsfh.com. Carolyn was born on December 19, 1938, in Newton, Iowa, to Leonard and Zella Woods Kane. Her family relocated to Bettendorf in the 1940s. It says in the 1940, maybe in 1940. She graduated from Bettendorf High School in 1958. Carolyn was united in marriage to Wayne K. Swanson on May 20, 1961. He preceded her in death on February 17, 2024. Carolyn worked for Peterson, Harned, Von Maar, and Kmart Corporation for 22 years. She retired in 1995. Carolyn loved her family, reading a good book, cooking great meals for her family, and she loved her Iowa heritage, or excuse me, her Iowa Hawkeyes. She was preceded in death by her parents, her husband, her four brothers, and son, Gary Swanson. Uh, one more. I'll do one more here. Timothy, known as Tim Morrissey. Tim Morrissey, age 72, of Davenport, passed away Sunday, February 25th at Genesis, Genesis East of Cancer. Per his request, cremation rights will be accorded. He will be laid to rest at Mount Calvary Cemetery in Davenport. In lieu of flowers, the family kindly requests that you consider a donation to the Holden Cancer Center at University of Iowa Hospitals. Online condolences may be left at the, their website, rungemortuary.com, R-U-N-G-E, mortuary.com. Tim was born August 25, 1951, in Davenport to John and Margaret Kenny Morrissey. He graduated from Assumption High School and was a 1993 graduate of Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine. He married Susan Lubiano on July 19, 1997, whom he shares a daughter, Colleen, with. Colleen, uh, Tim practiced veterinary medicine for 28 years, retiring from the USDA in 2021. 
In his free time, he loved creating in his woodworking shop, gardening, doing crosswords, and reading. He had a love for knowledge and never stopped learning outside of the classroom. Carol Ann Forsyth Kroger, K-R-O-E-G-E-R, of Bettendorf, passed away on Saturday, February 24th, at the Clarissa C. Cook Hospice House in Bettendorf. Private memorial service and family burial will be held a later date at Moline Memorial Park in Lua Flowers. Memorials may be made to the First Congregational Church in Moline, Rock Island County Historical Society, or the American Cancer Society. And memories may be shared online by visiting esterdahl, E-S-T-E-R-D-A-H-L dot com. John F. Jack Hot H-O-U-T, Hout, uh, 72, Davenport, left his earthly body and soared to the heavens on Saturday the 24th, uh, surrounded by family in the comforts of his home. Time to gather and celebrate Jack's life will be held from 5 until 7, Thursday night, uh, February 29th, at the Halligan McCabe DeVries Funeral Home in Davenport. Leap day, an unusual day to celebrate a guy who considered himself just a regular mortal. Jack wanted the Jack wanted the Chicago Bears to be his pallbearers, but they were busy letting all their other fans down, so he opted for cremation rites. He had a sense of humor. He'll be laid to rest in a private ceremony at Mount Calvary Cemetery in Davenport. Uh, see, John Frederick Hout was born on uh, a cold, snowy day on January 22, 1952, in Davenport. Third child of what would become a family of 11 children, born to Marion W. Schmidt and Fred Haut, H-A-U-T, Jr. He was educated at St. Paul's grade school and Assumption High School, class of 70, where he would have excelled in athletics and scholastic endeavors, but was held back by his lack of athleticism, size, and priorities. Jack sought rock stardom as the bass player in a band called the Purple Turtles, laying down riffs and grooves to please the ladies. Jack bought a brand new light blue Ford Mustang Mach 1 Fastback, his pride and joy. Best, the beast never saw a speck of dirt. It was his first love, but he sold it to buy an engagement ring for his true love and partner, Deborah Ann Jones. They were married on October 15, 1971 at St. Paul the Apostle Catholic Church in Davenport. And uh, online condolences may be expressed by visiting hmdfuneralhome.com. And here is uh, Judith Ann Carter, 84, Bettendorf, passed away on February 22. Funeral services will be held at the Rungi Mortuary on Friday, March 1 at 12 p.m. Visitation will be held one hour prior to service time. She'll be laid to rest at Davenport Memorial Park Cemetery. Memorials may be made in Judith's name to the First Baptist Church in Bettendorf. Online condolences may be expressed for the family at rungimortuary.com. And she, and that is, um, oh, here's one more, I'm sorry. Mary, uh, I'm going to spell this, P-O-E-L-V-O-O-R-D-E, Polivorde, maybe, 92 of Silvis, Illinois, passed away Thursday, February 22nd. Hope Creek Nursing and Rehabilitation Center, East Moline, Illinois. As per par Mary's wishes, private services be held at a later date. Online condolences may be left for the family at vanho.com. And some pendings, Laura Lundberg, 
of Milan, Illinois, passed away Saturday the 24th. Arrangements pending at Wheelie, Wheelan Presley Funeral Home and Crematory, Milan. Evelyn Irene Chicky Hinkhouse, 85, of Atalissa, Iowa, passed away Saturday the 24th. University of Iowa Healthcare. Arrangements are pending at Bentley Funeral Home in Wilton. David James Gordon, 77, of Orion, Illinois, passed away Sunday, February 25. Arrangements pending at Esterdahl Mortuary and Crematory. Kevin Brown, 65, Davenport, passed away Saturday, February 24th. Arrangements pending at the Rungi Mortuary. Rose Marie Miller, 96, of Mokokoda, passed away Wednesday, February 21, at home. Arrangements pending at Carson Celebration of Life Center in Mokokoda. Donna Dextra, 92, of Fulton, Illinois, passed away Friday, February 23. Rest Have Home. Morrison, Illinois. Arrangements pending at Bosma Renke's Funeral Home. And finally, Darlene Darlang, 70 of DeWitt, Iowa, passed away Saturday, February 24. University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Arrangements are in care of Schultz Funeral Home, DeWitt. I'm going to turn now to the opinion page of the Quad City Times. There is a political cartoon today drawn by Phil Hands. The scene of this cartoon is a kitchen in a house, a household kitchen. A woman is standing at a stove wearing an apron, holding a frying pan and flipping an, a fried egg up in the air. The man is sitting at a table with a checkerboard tablecloth. He's looking at his plate, which also holds a fried egg. And he is exclaiming, I thought you said we were having chicken for dinner. And the woman answers, according to the Alabama Supreme Court, that is chicken. And then on to the um, opinions. This first one I will read is the Las Vegas Review Journal's editorial. It's there, Another View. Title given to it is Bureaucrat Power Must Be Curtailed. Founding fathers failed to see politicians would crave re-election more than power. To understand the dangers of an overactive administrative state, go back to high school civics class. You learned that the Founding Fathers divided American government into three branches. Congress makes laws. The executive branch, led by the president, executes the laws. The judicial branch oversees legal cases and rules on constitutionality. Each branch was given unique and distinct powers because if one branch had too much power, it could overwhelm the others. As the Declaration of Independence laid out, unrestrained centralized power is a major reason the colonists rebelled against England. They objected to, quote, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. These checks and balances restrain federal authority. As James Madison, writing under the pseudonym Publius, put in Federalist 51, quote, ambition must be made to counteract ambition, end quote. He continued, it may be a reflection on human nature that such devices should be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? End quote. The Constitution reflected that the constant aim is to divide and arrange the several offices in such a manner as that each may be a check on the other. But in Republican government, the legislative authority necessarily predominates, end quote. That's not the case today. 
For decades, Congress has passed laws delegating its authority to executive branch agencies and unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. The regulatory state has become the de facto fourth branch of government, upending the intended constitutional order. Madison's mistake was believing that members of Congress would prioritize power. Instead, most crave re-election. They're happy to let bureaucrats make the rules because it helps them avoid tough, unpopular votes. Some elective representatives understand the danger in this. Last year, Representative Kat Kamek, a Republican from Florida, introduced the RAINS Act, R-E-I-N-S. It would require Congress to approve major regulations that agencies sought to enact. During the first year of this administration, the Biden White House added more than $200 billion in new regulatory costs, Kamek said in a release introducing the bill last year. These costly regulations went into effect, quote, without the proper oversight from the legislative branch, end quote. The House passed this bill last June. Tellingly, Southern Nevada's three Democratic House members, Representatives Dina Titus, Stephen Horsford, and Susie Lee, opposed it. The bill is currently stalled in the Democratic-run Senate. It's unlikely to pass until that changes. But state versions of this bill can and should be moved forward, including in Nevada. Restoring the country's constitutional order won't be easy, but the RAINS Act is a tangible step toward doing just that. Why Harris is ready to step in as commander-in-chief is the next opinion. This opinion is written by Eugene Robinson, who writes for the Washington Post. And here is uh, Eugene Robinson's opinion. With the exception of Dick Cheney, who made wars, vice presidents don't typically get to make foreign policy. But I can't think of any president who has become steeped in international affairs more quickly and thoroughly than Kamala Harris. That was a blank spot in Harris's resume when Joe Biden chose her as his running mate nearly four years ago. Her career as San Francisco District Attorney, California Attorney General, and U.S. Senator did not include any meaningful experience in foreign policy. That has completely changed, and it's making her a stronger asset to the Biden-Harris 2024 ticket. Harris recently represented the nation for the third consecutive year at the annual Munich Security Conference. Attendees have told me that the first time she went in February of 22, she was tentative. It was like learning to swim by being tossed into the deep end. Russian tanks and troops were massing at the borders of Ukraine. Harris met Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky for the first time at that gathering which concluded just four days before Russia's invasion. Harris told me later that year that she had wondered whether she'd ever see Zelensky again. During her latest trip to Munich, Harris held a joint news conference with Zelensky and crowded and crowed that Kyiv stands free and strong. In her address at the conference, she offered a forceful erudite defense of U.S. global engagement and emphasized the vital importance of the NATO alliance. Harris has no, Harris was no longer a newcomer. She was comfortable among the assembled world leaders, many of whom she now knows personally. 
While at the conference, the vice president met privately with President Isaac Herzog of Israel. During their conversations, she called for the release of all hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza and for a prolonged pause, in quote, in the war that has taken nearly 30,000 lives and caused a grave humanitarian crisis. She also met with Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammad Shi al-Suhadani, pressing him to do more to ensure the security of U.S. forces who remain in the country and are being attacked by Iran-sponsored militants. Early in her tenure, Harris' words to these leaders about tough subjects would not have had the authority they have now. After 16 overseas trips as vice president, she has learned the issues, and she has met and sized up the players. It is not uncommon for world leaders who come to Washington for meetings with Biden to also meet separately with Harris. A couple of examples, King Abdullah uh, II of Jordan met with the vice president on February 13th after seeing Biden the previous day. And Mexican President André Manuel López Orador, I'm sorry, dropped by Harris residence at the Naval uh, Observatory for breakfast in 2022 before meeting with the president at the White House. Given Biden's decades of experience as a senator and as vice president under Barack Obama, there is no doubt about who has the final say in this administration when it comes to foreign policy. But there should also be no doubt that Harris whenever called on, is capable of stepping in. The Biden-Harris campaign should be pushing back hard against attacks from the likes of GOP candidate Nikki Haley, who has spent months trying to paint Harris as somehow unqualified. You know, quote, you know what should send a chill up every person's spine, Haley recently said? The thought of a president Kamala Harris, end quote. All of this is designed to leverage that 83% of Republicans, the voters Haley is desperately trying to attract, view the vice president unfavorably, according to a YouGov poll. The flip side, however, is that the rank-and-file voters of Harris's party like her very much. In that same YouGov poll, 86% of Democrats viewed Harris favorably. That suggests the campaign strategy of having her fly around the country trying to energize the Democratic faithful about issues such as abortion and voting rights is good politics. And Biden has practiced good government as well by creating space for Harris to gain the exposure and experience she would need if, perish the thought, he were to no longer able to serve and she suddenly became commander-in-chief. As Haley says, we live in a world on fire. War in Ukraine, war in Gaza, China menacing, Taiwan, Russia menacing Europe, Republicans hiding under the bed. Many things should chill our spines, but the thought of a President Harris isn't one of them. I'm going to turn now to the sports page of the Quad City Times. On the front page are four different articles about what's going on with the high school basketball um end of tournaments, but I don't have time to get through any of those articles, so I'm going to read the headlines just to update you on a little bit of what's going on with that. The first one is PV Falls at State to Dowling Catholic. This was the IGHSAU Class 5 quarterfinals where Dowling beat Pleasant Valley 53-48. to Another headline says, Shorthanded Wildcats come up short in loss. And this one had North ending its season at 22-3 and in Des Moines. Um, 
Des Moines, Davenport North High School basketball team battled to the finish, but the Wildcats had too much and lost to... Uh, I can't see who they lost to. Um, in a Wells Fargo Arena, Davenport not for a loose ball action Monday, 5A. It's the 5A state quarterfinal, but I'm... Class 5A Davenport North. Okay. They lost, but I can't find out who they lost to. Um, moving on, though. Um, Peoria Notre Dame slows down Alleman. This is the Peoria Notre Dame 55, Alleman 39. The Irish claim a super sectional victory there in Illinois prep girls basketball. And back to Iowa. This is boys basketball, Class 3A, Davenport Assumption, 63, Marion, 32. The headline there was, Knights blaze a trail into state quarterfinals. Okay. Um, as I said, though, though I don't have um, time to read. Oh, I'm sorry. My, let me get back to that um, wildcat loss. That was Cedar Falls, 71, Davenport, North, 65, and that was the girls' class five quarterfinals. All right, I do have time to read a couple short articles. Um, I'm going to go with Clark Earns 28th Weekly Big Ten Award. This is a uh, story from staff reporters. Caitlin Clark has been named the Big Ten Player of the Week for the 28th time in her career. The conference announced on Monday. Clark's 28 weekly nods are five more than any other player. Former Hawkeye Megan Gustafson won the award 23 times from 2015 to 2019. Clark recorded her 16th career triple-double in the Hawkeyes' 101-85 win over Illinois on Sunday, finishing with 24 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists. Clark pushed her NCAA scoring record to 3,617 points and trails only... A-I-A-R. I'm not sure what that is. Oh, A-I-A-R all-time scoring leader Lynette Woodard with 3,647 and Pete Maravich who has 3,667. The senior from West Des Moines is the only player, man or woman, with more than 3,600 points, 1,000 assists, and 850 rebounds in NCAA history. For the season, Clark is averaging 32.1 points, 7.1 rebounds, and 8.5 assists per game. The Hawkeyes' last regular season road game is Wednesday in Minneapolis at sold-out Williams Arena against the Golden Gophers. Game time is set for 7 p.m., and it will be streamed on Peacock. That's on Wednesday, so get your TVs ready. Um, and also in this article, a note that Iowa did drop to sixth in the polls. Iowa dropped to a season low sixth in the latest AP Top 25 poll that was released Monday. The Hawkeyes defeated Illinois on Sunday but had lost at number 14 Indiana on Thursday. After Wednesday night's game at Minnesota, the Hawkeyes closed the regular season Sunday at noon against second-ranked Ohio State. That game will be broadcast on Fox, and the Buckeyes have won 14 in a row, so that will be a good game. Ohio State, Iowa, and Indiana are the Big Ten's only ranked teams. And it looks like it's time for us to 
close things up here. That will bring us to the end of the Quad City Times for today. I'm Dale Finnegan, and my partner at the microphone has been Doug Kretzinger. You can listen to IRIS programs on any computer or smart device at any time at iowaradioreading.org. Thank you for listening to IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service.